All right, so I've hit record. Uh, it's funny you mentioned uh, the Derringer show. You know, we don't often talk about numbers because uh, it's nobody's business. Like, we'll talk about where we rank on, you know, Canada or podcast uh, Canada ratings on uh, Apple iTunes. But that that Derringer show that you just mentioned, because we're talking, and, and again, we're going to have Maureen Holloway uh, filling in for Fred tomorrow, along with Jackie Delaney. So it's going to be a real like uh opportunity for people to hear firsthand <clears throat> excuse me the uh some of the discussion that we started last uh, spring but paul you, you know that that day that fred and i talked about we called it the curious case of john derringer yes. or as we call him now uh disgrace disgrace broadcaster john yeah. derringer um it'll be interesting to hear what uh, maureen and jackie have to say especially because uh, i was in that building for a long time and i uh would be interested as a lot of people but anyway the point is that day we did the show uh was one of the highest rated shows we've ever had no doubt hey uh did you press record then oh yeah we're recording this all this gold now is being all right sorry i just wanted to make sure you know because you don't want this to be day three i know i know um uh very excited to have paul back great show yesterday i thought paulie came in from came with some great bench strength you know just great come coming on the off the bench just filled in was seamless yeah that's uh that's my role no it was fantastic it was like uh you know i've been thrown to the same receiver for a long time and all of a sudden there's some new route being you know run over there i'm like oh he's open and so uh was very excited to have paul back and again maureen will be with us tomorrow dan duran's here and without further ado this episode of Humble and Fred is being broadcast to the world from the well-equipped Humble and Fred Studios in Toronto and from our <clears throat> East Toronto studio and is brought to you by Bodog, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Aaron Ventures, evnet.ca, and GoDaddy. With GoDaddy, you can find your domain, easily create your website, and start selling online. GoDaddy has all the tools and support you need for your small business. Visit godaddy.ca to learn more. And now, here are two men who have lived all over the world and like rubbing it in each other's face. Well, I've lived in L.A. Oh, yeah, I've lived in the U.K. It's Humble and guest Fred Paul Romanuk. Paul Romanuk is back. Yeah, we're going to also uh, feature a visit from the retirement Sherpa, which is always exciting. He's been away for a couple weeks. We'll check in with the Sherps. And uh, our guest today, Paul, Ralph ben Murgy. Oh. Back a long way with Ralph. Yeah, I was interested uh, to hear uh, what's your uh, background. Uh, how how does how so did he, you work at the CBC or? Uh, he did, but I met Ralph uh, during my first year at uh, the school formerly known as Ryerson uh, at the campus radio station. I was CKLN were the call letters at the time, and wow. I was a a, a young uh, sports guy slash DJ. Uh, Paul's Friday Night Party. <laughs> what? Friday I, so night whoa, party. whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a second. <laughs> you had a you had a show called Paul's Friday Night Party. I had a show. You got it, baby. Friday Night Party <laughs> at Ryerson. Uh, so at you, that you, time, you could have gone either. You were thinking I could be a DJ. I could be a sports guy. Love music and ex- exactly could have gone either way. You know, was uh, I was uh, what do you want to call? Uh, I was trans career. Uh, hadn't, hadn't you didn't identify you and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> ended up going the, the sports route. But uh, yes, uh, Ralph was there. Uh, I think he might have been the news director or whatever. But uh, yeah, and, and I met Ralph there. Very, 
uh, as he is now, very funny guy. Uh, and uh, yeah, we go back. So we go back to 1981. Yeah, Ralph and I often uh, talk about how our relationship began. Well, you know, a little bit acrimonious. Uh, like a lot of people I've met in my life, for some reason. Maybe it's me. And uh, we, I was doing a stand-up. I was a comedian, Paul, at one time. I did a full-time. And uh, in my touring North America, I happened to be in Winnipeg. And on, at the Yuck Yucks in Winnipeg on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it was the regular comedians. On Wednesday nights, they had some local comics come in. And Ralph Ben Murgy hosted that evening. And... Uh, I didn't know who he was, and I didn't know he was like a, a you know, I didn't know any, his background. I just knew that he was sort of a caustic, surly fellow, and I, you know, he and I sort of butted heads, and it's funny, now we're like, we go for coffee, we're buddies, but it started off in a fractious vein many years ago in a darkened room with, you know, people waiting for us to make them laugh. I, uh, I think I gave Ralph a pretty hard time during his Friday, his Friday night dance party. <laughs> what was that? Friday nights with Ralph Ben Morgan? And we've talked with Ralph. Yeah, man, yeah, I, I tell you what, a lot of people gave him shit and it's too bad looking back on it. You know, it was a tough time for Ralph Ben Murgy those couple of years. Yeah, but you know what? You're almost set up to fail. Yep. I, you, you, you cannot do. And this dovetails into our London discussion you wanted to have. Yes, we're going to get to it for sure. As much as we love Toronto, and I think Toronto is a terrific city to live in, uh, Toronto is not an A city in the world. It is not a global city. It's not a world. It's not New York. It's not L.A. It's not Tokyo. It's certainly not London. And transposing what I'm talking about onto that point is when you're doing a show like Ralph's, uh, and, you know, uh, who's the other guy? Uh, Mike Bullard tried to do it. We've had a few false starts in Canada. It all relies on guest power. Can you get the big stars, the big names on your show? And there just aren't enough of them that come through Toronto on a weekly, never mind a nightly basis, mm-hmm. to sustain. You know, how many nights are you going to have Fiona Bruce on? You know, how many nights are you going to have Ralph Waxman on? You know, or Al Waxman. Like, you just, or Ralph or Al, actually. Ralph. Uh, Ralph <laughs> it was so bad that Al's brother <laughs> Ralph yeah, came on with We him, couldn't get Al. Work, we know? already had Al on three times this week. So, I, I mean, I agree and disagree with you. I think that the, you know, I think Bullard had a better go of it it sustained itself for a few years. Um, here's how desperate he was for guests. I did the show a few times. Um, but you're, I, I don't totally agree that Toronto isn't a world-class city. I don't think it's in the same class as the cities you mentioned. But I think it's grown up in stature, certainly in all the metrics of a world-class city. Like, anytime you see... Yeah, well, you can make that face all you want. <laughs> But uh, by, by, a, by a large margin of metrics, it's considered to be world class in many, many different silos. But celebrity star power ain't one of them. No. Um, but you're right. As far as doing a, a talk show in Canada, you think by now we would have figured that out. But we figured out. I mean, what are we known for comedically? Obviously, some great stand ups, great sketch uh, performers, Second City, Kids in the Hall. You know, basically Saturday Night Live was invented by a Canadian. But for some reason, we can't solve the uh, talk show puzzle. But maybe, and maybe because of what you said, we don't have enough. There's not enough to sustain it. 
No, there's not. There's, you know, when I watch, uh, I don't know if anybody watches, well, any of the American talk shows, which we which we see here. But there's a there's a couple of guys in uh, the UK who I used to watch when I lived there. Uh, Jonathan Ross, who you can sometimes see here uh, and Graham Norton. Yes. And, you know, Graham Norton will do his weekly Friday night show, and it's like, hey, here comes Tom Cruise. Whoa. Hey, there's a Louis Capaldi, one of the biggest. Hey, oh, and there's, a, you know, and here comes, uh, you know, Dame Edna. Like, what, like No, no. I've, you know, it's funny you say about it. I, I watch some of his stuff on uh, just social media, and I'm always blown away by just, you know, and funny, uh, you know, you can, on any given night on his couch, he's got four or five of the biggest stars in the world yeah. just sitting there. Yeah. Dan, do you, are you familiar with him, Graham Norton? Yeah. Me? Yeah. Yeah, he, he does. He's a, got an interesting loud orange and whatever set, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, and we'll get into this when we talk about Paul's uh, journey to the... Uh, to the other side of the Atlantic. Um, just a couple, and we're going to get to that. Uh, a couple other things, uh, Dan. Um, I wanted to mention this because uh, I've had some, you know, physically, um, health-wise, I've had some challenges. And uh, I seem to end up going to a doctor like every other day now. And on Monday, I went to get an ultrasound for my stomach. And uh, there was a nice man doing the he's a ultrasound technician. And um, was, it, was it male or female? Male, oh. and an older gentleman, a nice man. I want to, and I don't want to say where, where I went to because I'll tell you'll see in a, in a second. But he was an interesting man in his mid sixties, and uh, he was doing the test. You know, have you had an ultrasound on your ever before, Paulie? Yeah. So you know, he's putting the gel on my stomach and he's rubbing this thing all over, looking at the, and in the course of conversation, he tells me. That in the country he's from, he was a GP for 26 years. And for the last 13 years, he lived in Canada and has not been able to get certified here. And uh, I wanted to bring it up for a couple of reasons. I was fascinated by this because I've considered myself an amateur physician for quite some, <laughs> for quite some time. And, um, <laughs> and you need to get certified. And I can't get certified. <laughs> but uh, And he got quite irritated telling me, not at me, but telling me when he starts speaking of the system we have here in Canada. And it's become, uh, there's a few things in the news recently, and I'm sure you're aware, Paul, there's lots of talk about privatizing some parts of our health uh, system. And here was this gentleman who was telling me that all every technician, maybe he was exaggerating, but he said almost every technician that you've ever seen in an ultrasound clinic, those are former doctors. And then he went on to say, and by the way, I, don't, I can't identify the country he's from. I'll just say it was somewhere in Southeast Asia. You know, now be as politically correct as I can. Just fill in the Southeast Asian blank. So he was telling me many of his country people, not even country men, have come here to Toronto, a second class city. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and I, have, I was fascinated by him saying, like he said, and he was telling me every technician was a former doctor, can't get certified. He said every Uber driver. And that stuck with me. I'm like, every Uber I said to his, I won't tell you his name, but I said, every Uber driver? He goes, oh, yeah. Every Uber driver, all of the doctors. And then the way home, I thought, you know, that might solve some problems. You know, the Canadian government could just pay Uber drivers to give people exams because, you know, they're, they're, they're coming to pick you up anyway. You get into yeah, they And when you put in, you know how you put in on the app, like where you're going to go, your destination. You could also say, you know, destination Rogers Center, uh, 
lower abdomen uh, discomfort. <laughs> See, all of this, Paul, was my, all of this was to set up that joke. You see, but there, I, so there's the serious part. But I've been thinking about that joke all week. I was thinking that's all you got to do. You put in your destination and heartburn, lower left abdomen uh, discomfort, uh, frequent urination, Rogers Center. Anyway. <laughs> That's but, good. But, and, and can you give him a star rating as well? Well, well that's <laughs> that's right. You get a star rating depending on how how the exam went. You know, so you get in the back there. There's the water. There's the newspaper, and there's a cup you pee in. <laughs> Keep going, and then you hand it up to the guy. He you know figures it out, and uh, off you go. <laughs> Just rife for abuse. Well, but there is a serious part of that. Like I, I'm the first part. I actually was sincere about. Which is that there is a problem here. You know, we don't like to talk about it, that our healthcare system is at capacity. You know, you hear these stories of people that are uh, having, they've, they've been in a foreign country and uh, are needed to be medevaced here to Canada and there's no bed anywhere in the country for them. Thoughts? That's a great, a great point. Oh, I, I can't, it, I've been hearing stories about this for years like the you know the taxi cab drivers that are you know qualified people our immigration system is set up to give people who are highly qualified uh in various fields of whatever to to let those people into the country they you know you can show a certain amount of income and and uh, then they get here and they can't get jobs in their in their chosen profession like the medical field it just drives me nuts I mean, why is, is that why are why are we wasting all this talent from people with highly educated and and years this guy was a mid-60s gentleman been practicing medicine for 26 years i think it has something to do with the uh the medical professions uh qualification system is not set up to uh help those people <laughs> it's set up to disadvantage them hmm. yeah so like you know like you're the, you have to requalify so you almost have to retake all your doctor you have to go through the entire education system all over again, which makes no sense to someone who's been a doctor for 26 years. Right. Is that is that similar, guys? And I don't know the answer to this. Is that similar in other fields? Like, are you if you're an engineer in India or some other place let, yes. or, or, or even a, a first world country, if you're an engineer in the UK, Paul, and you come to Toronto, can't you also don't your qualifications or an architect, don't your qualifications apply? I couldn't tell you uh, categorically in every field, uh, but I do know that as a general rule, uh, yes, you have to your your qualifications as a lawyer. If you've been called to the bar in the UK, are not acceptable to the Ontario Bar Association, and you have to requalify. Hmm. And likewise for Quebec, and likewise for all the other provinces. Uh, certainly, you just uh, reference the medical profession; that absolutely is the case. And I would suspect that it's probably the same for. Or, you know, many other fields where there is a you're if you want to be a, a chartered accountant, I would guess that you have to retake some type of accountancy qualification to get your whatever it is you need to have up in the office. Right. Whatever. Yeah. In, whatever in that thing is. I think that's the way it is around the world. Though. I was going to say, you can tell the three of us at, at, at what level of higher education we have. You know, that accountant, you put that whatever that is. You know, I, I was thinking uh, as a pilot. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder, and I, I'm sure some of my uh, aviation buddies will be able to weigh in on this, but like my, my pilot's license, I think is uh, valid in the States. Like I would be recognized as having a, 
a valid pilot's license. I'm not sure at the professional level because it's a pretty international job. I mean, you can, you know, lots of guys from Canada fly for Cathay, for instance, and are based in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. So I'm sure there are scuba diving license. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Your paddy license. But that is an international license. Yeah. All right. Well, so I think it has know, to do with with the international record, like one one uh, one course being equivalent in a different country, the same the equivalency. So if it does, if it's not equivalent, then they have to retake that portion of whatever. It gets pretty complicated. And and you know, years. jokey jokes aside, I just was thinking about this gentleman for the last couple of days because I wanted to do that joke. But I was also thinking about how uh, what a waste that is, especially you know for some of the communities in Canada that are underserved by the medical profession how they're having trouble getting doctors to go to smaller communities and that's ubiquitous ubiquitous as well across the country because everyone wants to come here uh but wants to practice in toronto vancouver montreal but they don't want to go to you know swift current saskatchewan or Piapot, wherever that is <laughs> just ran, maple, maple, maple creek maple, maple creek, creek thank you i just ran out of references after a swift current pretty quickly the tank went dry well because I, I i could i was trying to think it's from remote on t- yeah so once again not graduating grade 12 have left me bereft of anyway uh yeah so uh that's what we'll do we'll get the uh, the uber drivers we'll start doing medical exams like All right. That. Okay. Well, listen, Dan Duran's news uh, will join us uh, once again about, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes from now. How about the uh, tie-in here with the Beatles? You got to like that. Come on. Uh, I'll tell you what, before we uh, start breaking down more of uh, the Romanuk story, I feel like this is a two-part documentary on my buddy Paul Romano. I'm not that interesting. Oh, I think you're fascinating, man. Uh, but uh, let's not uh, let too much time get away before I do this. This is going to take just a little bit of uh, maneuvering from screen to screen. Uh, let me put that down and get uh, Freddie talking about this. Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan, Canada's number one group benefits plan for small business. Small business being, say, one to a hundred employees. If you've thought about having a benefit package for your small business, this is the way to go. To go to chamberplan.ca, get a free quote today. It's right there. All the information you need. Uh, there's prescriptions. There's dental. Uh, there's therapies. There's the travel component that we talk about uh, so much. Uh, there's a mental health component now. An HR department. Yeah, it's all there and all affordable. They've done a great job of keeping the premiums down for small business, which is very important, obviously. It's the Chambers Plan, Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan, chamberplan.ca. And if I may uh, take a second here and talk about our good friends at evnet.ca. In an ideal world, the first time you get an electric car, you'd have someone trust walk you through. I'm sorry, that's not that's not even a thing. There's no such thing as a trust walk. Someone you trust. <laughs> but, that's funny. It's funny to me. Um, <laughs> by the way, there's a story about how... Uh, 
apparently we're not very far from way uh, away from like 10% of all new cars in the next couple of years. 10% will be electric vehicles. I tell you, I've been driving one now for three months, Polly. And uh, as a uh, socialist, I, uh, you know, it's not just that because I'm, I'm, we have a client. But I tell you, I've, I haven't been in a gas station for like almost three and a half months. What uh, what kind is it? Uh, I've been driving uh, right now. I'm driving a, a at EVNet. They've got a whole bunch of different. They've got you know Nissan Leafs. They've got uh, the Kona, which I'm driving now. Uh, Tesla, Elon Musk uh, aside, just I've never been in a car like this. Like yeah, never. Yeah, I'd like to get one. Uh, I'm I'm still driving a uh, a gas powered car. An ICE. Uh, Internal combustion yeah. engine. That's what we call it. Yeah, in the EV. Oh, okay. yeah, in, in the base. Yeah, um, anyway, it, you, you have a trust walk <laughs> from the people at EVNet. If this is your first time trying it, uh, book the full experience. And what this is so unique uh, at EVNet.ca, you get somebody that will answer all your questions about how it works. And, you know, listen, I'm, I'm into my third or fourth iteration of having a car. So I'm starting to become comfortable with the idea. But at first, there's quite a bit of a, a lot of learning. You know, where do you charge it? How does it work? How long does the charge last? All the things you're thinking about choose an experience choose the length choose pickup or delivery but choose evnet.ca there's all kinds of stuff i could tell you about it but really they can tell you it better like you it, it really is it's it's uh you know and at at first i was really not that i thought okay well so is this going to be inconvenient it's not i have a charger in my garage and uh like the Tesla long range one that I had for about a month, it has, it holds 440 kilometers of charge. And the big pushback from people with me is, oh, what if you go on a trip? And I'm like, dude, I'm not going on trips. Okay. I get in a plane. I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm not driving 15 hours anywhere. You know, it's everyone wants to come with, come up with the reasons you shouldn't have one. But the best experience is evnet.ca and uh, go take a trust walk today. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. I'm I'm in the market in a few months for a new vehicle. So there you go. Well, please do. Would you do me a favor? Will you Will you check out evnet.ca and say I heard it on the Humble and Fred show? Is there a code I can use? Like yes, know, yes. There's a Humble and Fred code. I don't have it. In, ten or yes. Uh, actually, it's uh, hold on a second. Code. It is the uh, HF twenty. HF20 gets you uh, $20 off the uh, your first EV experience, okay? And that's basically you get to rent a car. We give you a bit of a break. And what they do is, since we're talking about them, is that they give you a chance to rent the car before you... Because uh, you've never had any... Like, everyone's driven a car. But most people haven't been in an electric vehicle. So what they do is give you a weekend to try it out. just Or a day if you want. But you try out what it's like to have an electric vehicle for a, a period of time. And we give you $20 off, okay? I like it. I like it. Thank you, sir. Uh, okay, I had a song here in mind for you. Here it is. Um, we'd been uh, friendly, friends, for some time, and uh, always enjoyed your company. And then one day I'm talking to you, and you said, Hey, how, man? I think that's what you called me. <laughs> you said, Hey, how, man? You want to go on a trust walk with me? And uh, we'll, we'll talk about my uh, latest move. And I said, what's up, Palsy? And you said you're moving to London, England. I was like, how cool is this guy? So just give me a little perspective and uh, set us up for us. At the time, what were you doing and what year was it? Long time ago, uh, in a land far, far away. Uh, but uh, it was 2000 and... Five. Uh, I was the radio play-by-play voice of the Toronto Raptors. 
which was uh, one of the best jobs I ever had. It was fantastic. That's a, a whole other ball of wax. Uh, and... In the background, uh, my wife worked for a big multinational company, and we had always sort of had a dream uh, of wanting to uh, live in the UK, in London specifically, uh, going back to a time when I first went there back in in the early 80s, 1980, when I was part of the theater group in high school that went over and, and did like one of those sort of exchanges. Was, was this prior to uh, Paul's Friday Night Party Time, or...? Just prior to. Just prior to. Uh, okay. So, loved it. Uh, met people. So, that that's why we... And, and we went there. We'd go there on vacation probably every year since since we met. Uh, so, that was the background there. Uh, so, fast forward ahead to 2005, and I'm the radio play-by-play voice of the Raptors. Uh, my wife, Carrie, is, is working for this big company, and she had... It was a company that moved people around the world. That's what big multinationals mm-hmm. did uh, back then in particular. And she got pegged for a job in uh, Europe based in London. And uh, it was a... You know, you know what? It wasn't that big of a decision. Um you know, leaving my job to go over there to have an opportunity to live in this amazing city uh, and have her, you know, take a great career step and support her with that. And, you know, for me, the job was a great job that I had. I really liked it. But weighing the two off, you know, there was never a consideration. So, well, so we I'm said, gonna yep, just, we're going. Let me just pop in and say, well, that's very admirable because, you know, there's a lot of guys listening that you know, might have thought, you know, sort of old school, you know, well, I'm uh, the guy and I'm doing this great. You're also doing a great job. But the fact that you didn't have any hesitation and you had a, an affinity for the place, I'm sure helped. But but was there a little bit of hesitation? I'm the play by play guy for the Raptors for crying out loud. Radio. You know, had I been the play-by-play guy on TV, would that have been a difference? Been a little different, but yeah. But why? Do, do you mind me asking why? Because radio doesn't pay very much, or <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Uh, yeah, financially for sure. Uh, you know, you, if you're just the full time, just if you're the full time radio guy, which is still gr- a great job and a great accomplishment, uh, not casting any shadows on that at all. But no, you don't make as much as as the voice of the team on television. Okay, uh, that's fine. So one, one, that, it's much higher profile TV. Well, for sure. And I, I was just I couldn't let that go because I'm sure some people are thinking, well, you know, play by play guy is a pretty good gig, and it's something that you were. If I may uh, again compliment you, uh, really one of the best guys that that did it and and could still do it today. Anyway, so you moved to London and you told me you were moving. I thought that was really cool. And uh, and it lasted how long? Uh, Almost 10 years. Wow. So you're you're there. You're living there. You you feel like. Oh, yeah. After the. So how long did it take uh, for the novelty to wear off where you're like, oh, yeah, this is just where I live. I live in London. Um, I, well, I used to come back here. I always sort of measure it this way. I'd, I'd come back about once a year uh, to uh, to network uh, because I did some work for people here living over there. Uh, so I'd come back, and it would be sort of business pleasure trip. And the first couple of years I came back, it still kind of felt like, kind of felt like home a little bit. What, here but, or there? 
here, right. here. But after a couple of years, uh, and especially after like five, six years, when you got into the, it, it didn't. It it was it's, it was very strange because it was a place where you knew the place, but you didn't belong here anymore. Right, and it seemed incredibly small and provincial. Uh, and I don't mean that in a in a negative way. Yes, you do. Yes, yes, you do. You you snooty Londoners are all the it, same. So you come and so yeah, it London was home. Hey, it listen, home. I, I got the same feeling because I, I asked that question because in my life I moved many many times. I had to because I started off in Moose Jaw. And it wasn't long before I, st- I would come back to visit my parents in Moose Jaw. And just that, just as you described it, it no longer felt like a place that was my home. And wherever I was living at that time, I was now going home. And, you know, having lived in Los Angeles, I know that feeling of coming back to even Toronto or Montreal thinking, well, this is cute. But, you know, having said that, we're a world-class, we're a world-class city right. now. Um, so you're in London and you explain to everyone what 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 exactly so Carrie, your lovely wife, was working for a big company. You guys were living in a, a nice part of town, I'm assuming. Where did you live? Uh, well, initially we lived in, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much of your listenership is in, is in Toronto and how much is across. Mostly Toronto, but give, give us a Toronto perspective. Okay, Did you live so, in like the Liberty Village of Toronto or the East I End of Toronto? Say, yeah, I would say the first place we lived would be analogous to, um, at the time, uh, would to sort of Riverdale, which was, um, you know, so Riverdale was sort of developing. Right. Uh, it's a, it's part of these so but there were still some kind of dodgy parts of it that weren't so nice some dodgy uh, yes you know it's gotten uh, you know now riverdale's become pretty gentrified you know but this is where you know, we're going we're talking back 2005 uh so yeah it was it was like there's a place called battersea which uh, the way london gets divided up generally when when londoners talk about it is uh into either tube zones or postcodes so the tube zones go out from the middle of london so zone one very central London. Zone two, you're pretty central. Zone three, fairly central, but starting to get outside of the main core of London. Zone four, zone five, and so on. Okay. So we were in zone two. Uh, we were in Battersea, which is a, a, a up-and-coming area just south of the Thames, right below Chelsea, which is... Wow which is uh, very posh. Um, and so we moved there, and we lived there for five years, and then we moved to West London, so Zone 3. We moved to a place called Chiswick, which I would say is very analogous to the beach area okay. of Toronto. Which is, which is kind of where you live now. now. Yeah, exactly. So your your proximity to downtown, <clears throat> depending on how you get there, is going to be anywhere between 20 and 40 minutes. Uh, Did you have a car when you lived there or just take the tube and taxis? I did not. And that, you know, one of the big, again, world city. Yes, I know. Uh, but I'll like tell you what, York. I will agree this. The thing that keeps Toronto from being a world city at the level of those cities that we're talking about is our subway system. Yeah, it's yeah, a joke. It really is. And yeah. I, even I know that. And I take the only time, it's funny, the only time I ever take the subway is when I'm in New York or I've been in London. But because that is one of the things, the big stumbling blocks to this city. Because in a lot of other ways, it's world class, but that really does hold us back. You do not need a car. I, I don't think in New York either if you live no. in Manhattan. You certainly don't need one if you live in London. You can get anywhere now. They have their problems. Parts of the of the system are a hundred years old, and they're in a constant state of repair. Mm. Uh, but the tube, the overground, uh, and a good old uh, black cab will get you 
wherever you want. Did you find on a rare occasion I could rent a car easily? Yeah, okay, I've got a couple rapid fires because I'm curious. Because again, I, I brought this up yesterday. One of my best buddies moved to France uh, during the global pandemic, and that's the name of his podcast, which is fascinating and produced by Humble and Fred uh, Studios. So Jeff and Julie, it's called Jeff and Julie moved to France in a global pandemic, and I went to visit him. And uh, it's been two and a half-ish years he's lived there, completely moved everything, lock, stock, everything. And there are challenges to it. And they're in a very remote part, south of France, beautiful area. One of the most stunning, it's just a beautiful countryside. But it's, you know, it's not for everybody. What would you say to people uh, to the following question? Is London expensive? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's very, very expensive. It's an expensive place to live. The, the biggest, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're going between oh, Toronto and London, uh, London is a much better place to live in terms of being a global city and all that comes with that. So uh, culture, especially uh, theater. English-speaking theater, somebody from New York might tell you different. It's the best in the world for me in London, by far. Uh, anything you could possibly want to look at, see, eat, buy, experience, it's all in London, and it's all in London first, way before it's in but Toronto. It's, and, but it is, it's expensive is what we're trying to get to. It's, a, it's, it's not a cheap place to live. Yeah, where Toronto gets ahead is your quality of life, your quality of living right. for someone in our snack bracket is much more accessible sure. in Toronto. You know, and it's Absolutely. funny you say that because people always ask me about my time in Los Angeles. And I say, when I lived there, I didn't make enough money to really experience all the things you think L.A. is. You know, people ask me about, you know, shopping here and there. I go, dude, I, I was a 27-year-old. I wasn't shopping anywhere. Um, but but back to my point, I, I, I kind of missed what I was going to get to, which is my buddy moved away did you find like some of the challenges there again it sounds glamorous you're living in the middle of one of the greatest cities in the world and has been forever london england and but there's challenges there has to be there had to been some times when you did you ever have times where you're thinking like man this is a lot of work or was it always just uh gravy no well my my situation would not be analogous to jeff lumby's who's the the friend you're talking about because he moved to a very rural part of of france uh as opposed to i moved to a big metropolitan global city but to your point absolutely uh there are you know everybody's oh well i know london really well because i visit there all the time no you don't uh, until you live there mm-hmm. uh, and experience, you know, everyday things, shopping, the bureaucracy, trying to get a mobile phone uh, when I first went there, uh, bank accounts, you have no credit rating, all of those things uh, that, you know, you, and you, you have to get into the health well, system and such. Yeah, you have to go and find a doctor, register into the NHS, their national health system. There's all of those things that have to get done, and they do them slightly differently than here. And the other thing that you do run into, and I certainly ran into it in my line of work, and it made me have certainly more empathy for new Canadians, uh, for people who come to this country, is going back to your point about credentials not being recognized and so on, I think... This exists in every country, including Canada. Sure, it but does. there there is a degree of xenophobia. You know, there's a degree of you know, yeah, you, you know. In my case, you were a broadcaster in. 
Canada for 20 years. That's very sweet. That's very nice. And you covered what? Ice hockey? Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> oh, that's very interesting. But, you know, you didn't work for the BBC. You didn't work for ITV. You didn't work in Europe. So thus, your credentials are not on the same so, level. Yeah, as let's talk a little did. bit about. And by the way, you know, that it's funny. Again, having Dan and I have both moved so many times. But every time I've moved, even if it's just from Montreal to Toronto or from back from the Oakville back, there's always something with moving. And then you take a move like going to London or where Jeff is and it's exacerbated. But back to your career. So you leave a, 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 a career here doing play by play for an NBA team. I know that doesn't matter to them, but it's, it's not like a it's not like you were doing the the Kitchener Rangers, which is fine, I'm sure. But uh, what did they think? What, so you got you got that sort of attitude. What did you want to do there and what did you end up doing there? I didn't really know. Uh, I mean, I wanted to be a, a broadcaster, and I did do a fair bit of that. I, I did a lot of work for Eurosport, which is uh, a doing big, what uh, uh, play by play of what of, uh, basketball, uh, lacrosse, uh, softball, uh, hockey. When they had it, they didn't have a lot of hockey, but I did the Vancouver Olympics for Eurosport. I did all the men's and women's hockey, for example. Amazing. Uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, but I did different stuff. I got a job through a conference I was at. I did a lot of networking, but I got a job with a contract publishing company who were doing a magazine for the Asian Indoor Games in Macau. And they hired me to be the editor of this magazine. And I, I commuted between London and Macau for about six months, which was really cool. Uh, I did a ton of work uh, for the International Ice Hockey Federation doing web content uh, when it was still fairly new. Uh, so, you know, I did a lot of things, some broadcasting, some writing, and then I would do work for people back here. I, I you know, uh, was instrumental in the, the Spengler Cups development as a, as a TV property. Uh, I would still do... Uh, Excuse me, the Olympics. I did a couple of Olympics for CBC, um, you know, while I was based in London. So there were still things happening. Um, but uh, so were, your, were, yeah, I didn't know. Were you busy every day? No, no, I, I, I was not. Um, uh, there were periods of time, like any freelancer, where I wasn't that busy at all. And uh, during a couple of those stretches, I went to cooking school and, uh, and, and Come got on. My, my cooking papers. So, you know, that was. What does that, that mean, your cooking cool. papers? From the Ashburton Cooking College, and uh, uh, was that something you were always interested? I'm fascinated. Yeah, by that. yeah, always, always been interested in uh, in that. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I've got some time on my hands, so I'll, I'll go and, and sharpen up my skills. And you know, so that was a great experience. But well, yeah, so, I, I wish I'd have known that because I okay, I'm, I would have put aside some uh, time to uh, talk about your culinary achievements, but. Um, and I know there was something you said about play by play, blah blah blah. Oh yeah, I'm with your accent. So you're doing play by play for uh, forgive me. What's it called? Eurosport something. Eurosport. Yeah. Eurosport. So you're doing play by play for them, and clearly you're not from there. Was Correct. that was that a novelty for the listeners? No, it was a detriment. I mean, uh, I, I was told in no uncertain terms, I can think of three occasions where, well, we're a little uncomfortable having you on the air with that accent. Or I couldn't possibly put you a BBC, BBC radio producer out and out told me who I spoke with at a conference said, um, well, you know, 
you've got great experience, and I think you'd be a, you're a very good broadcaster. But I, I couldn't possibly put you on the air with that accent. Hmm. Uh, so, th- so that's what you run into. Which, again, transposing it to here, I'm very proud as a Canadian when I click on uh, World Cup football and other events, and I see you know, like what I think his name's Luke Wildman, uh, who's a, a British expat who moved to Canada, so the opposite of what I did, and he was put on the air by I think it was TSN at the time in a in a full-time broadcast capacity mm-hmm. right so we do that here that would never have happened over there uh, like even ice hockey as as it's referred to a sport yeah, yeah. that is that is very canadian now or i'll give you a better example at eurosport while i was there the uh, the position to open up uh, opened up to call uh, men's downhill skiing which is a bigger pretty big sport in Europe. sure and uh, i put my hat into the ring as somebody who you know, knows skiing and is called play-by-play for many winter sports, including skiing, uh, and uh, was a complete non-starter because of my accent. Uh, and I don't think that would be the case here. Uh, and, and I don't, th- you know, it's funny you say that because you obviously for things like uh, soccer, football, uh, you hear a lot of international voices on the air in Canada. But on radio in Canada, in, at least in this market, it's pretty unusual. I can't remember. There was a, a guy, and I'm sure if I can, he, I think he worked at Q. But there's very, it was fairly rare that you would hear a British style voice mm-hmm. on commercial radio in Toronto. So I get that a little bit. I, and I, but I mean, given your experience and the sports that you were covering, which were international in flavor. Because you're in one of the great things about Europe is because there are voices and accents from all over the continent. Sim, it just seems weird they wouldn't embrace someone with the, the level of experience. So just because I'm Ralph's going to join us in three minutes and I kind of want to take a couple seconds here to put a, a finish to the story because there's I have so many questions about London. But at some point in the 10 year time that you were there. Let me just tell Ralph to stand by for three. What uh, talk to me about with such a great experience? Did you think two questions? Did you think that's where you were going to live for the rest of your life? And what was the circumstances that brought you back? Well, we when we moved over there, we didn't think we'd be coming back. Uh, But I would say after sort of five, six years, I think in our minds, we were both "Eh, I don't know if I want to retire here. Might you know, we might there, we didn't know when, but uh, I think probably eventually we might want to move back to Canada. It was very you know probably maybe that's so that's that's what our thought was. What sped things up uh, in our return was when I was uh, offered the position uh, by from Rogers with Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Keith Pelly, our our mutual friend, said, "Hey, after, you know it, he called me." within an hour of them getting the rights and said, uh, you know, sit tight. We're going to bring you back. We want you to come back and be part of this package. So at that point, we knew we were coming back and uh, it was a tough decision. But that was, you know, that was a moment that I'd been working towards for my entire career, right. as any play-by-play announcer would tell you. So that's what brought us back. And when and I mean, you mentioned that to me yesterday. At one point, we were just talking, I guess, off the air about uh, that being, you know, the dream job. And again, forgive my ignorance. Um, what were you? So you were doing 
play-by-play regionally for Hockey Night in Canada? You, were you doing the? You weren't doing the Saturday, or you, were you doing some Saturday night yeah. games? Yeah, yeah, I was doing. Uh, I was the second announcer. When the, the original configuration, Jim Houston was the guy. Uh, so Jim did the Stanley Cup final. He did the Saturday night primetime broadcast on CBC. I was the second guy. I did the uh, Rogers share of the Leafs regional games, which was big. Uh, and uh, I also did, uh, you know, in playoffs, I did the Eastern or Western Conference finals or the Stanley Cup semifinals. And again, so in the playoffs, Jim would do the big series. The Leafs, if they're playing, I would right. do the second biggest series uh, with the the Flames or the Jets or the, whatever. But still, you were working for Hockey one. Night in Canada, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to get Ralph on here. But when Ralph's done, and maybe toward the end uh, before the shirt, we'll get a chance. I, I don't want to go over like you know why it ended. But how many years did you do that? Four years. Four years. So it was like a real gig, and and then. Then our boy Pelly left to go become the commissioner of the freaking European tour. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I got, I, I've told the story on there about how he invited me to come hang with him at the Scottish Open. And, I, and he's one of those things I think he says, you know, hey, humble, you should come over. And I did. <laughs> so it was like... He is. He is a little. Pelly's one of the like a lot of people with that caliber of, of creativity. Uh, I can think of a few, but he's one of those guys where like uh, he's talking to you, and then the shiny object catches his attention over there, yeah. and now he's focused on that. Like he has the attention span of a moth. Well, it was funny because he's. I think he said it. We were we were doing an interview on the show. I think he said it to me like because we've been golf buddies. He said it to me sort of like. Hey, we should do lunch sometime. But I actually took him up on the offer. <laughs> so, um, listen, I was fascinated by that. And I know everyone else was. Let's uh, let's switch gears here if we can for a second. And uh, before we introduce our uh, next guest, um, let me just get a piece of music here so I can talk about. Uh, this is one of my. You know what? It's funny. I was going to ask you one of your favorite Beatles songs, but this is one of my one of my favorite Beatles songs. I don't know why. I've always liked parts of this song. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk about GoDaddy. With GoDaddy, you can find your domain, easily create your website, and start selling online. GoDaddy has all the tools and support you need for your small business. Uh, you can do it. I'll tell you one of the things I love about this uh, company is they have 24-7 phone support. That means you can call a human being, and they will help you every step of the way. You know what? You can even start your website for free with GoDaddy. No credit card is even required. Visit GoDaddy.ca to learn more. Let's just, let's just groove along to this uh, last part, which is one of my favorites. I mean, does our guest need any introduction? Well... Some people might say, yeah, but we've already been talking quite a lot this morning about the uh, man, the myth, the legend, Rabbi <laughs> Ralph ben Murgy. The uh, acquaintance. The acquaintance. <laughs> um, I was telling, uh, before I introduced you officially, I was telling Romanuk, like, how do you know Ralph? And he said, oh, you guys went to Ryerson together. We started together. We started up. CKLN. That's right. Yes. And, and Ralph did our story. He's doing the Marleys on the phone. I'm doing news magazine in a booth. And uh, him and uh, Phil uh, did the uh, Marley games. Phil yeah. Dugas. And uh, every once in a while, when I got older, I'd be watching a fantastic hockey game with Paul on it. And I'd go, go to people as if I was 12. 
I know that guy. <laughs> That's right. Now, you know, I so I told you, he was telling me about how, you know, your origin story, and I sort of fumbled my way through our origin story, which was kind of prickly at best. Um, you know, nothing like two cranky Jews meeting each other on a Wednesday night in Winnipeg. Um, all right, please welcome to our... Wrong. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the funny thing is, all these years later, I, every time I see that your name's on the schedule, I just get all warm. Uh, please welcome to our program a dear, dear friend of this program and uh, somebody that really doesn't, to our audience, needs no introduction. He's the host of uh, Not That Kind of a Rabbi, one of my favorite podcast guest experience in the last 11, 12 years. It's uh, Ralph Ben Murgy. Here we go. Here we go. Um... Paul and I were talking about his lifelong dream to host Hockey Night in Canada finally came true while he and his lovely wife were living in London, England, and he came back, and Rogers brought him back. He was the number two guy at Hockey Night in Canada, and it was really a, a great thrill. I'm curious about you. What was your dream job, and was it that Friday night show, or was it some other show that you've done along the way? Uh, you know... It wasn't really about a show. For me, uh, I was—I remember being a, a, a J student, a journalism student at Ryerson. After thinking I was going to be an actor or a stand-up or whatever I was going to be, and I just thought, no, I don't think that's going to work for me. Um, and listening to Peter Zosky on the radio mm-hmm. and thinking to myself, I just want to work in radio doing magazine format where you get to talk about everything and he was so inspiring that I just wanted to work at the CBC and 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 do uh, substantial content and really have a good time and I got to do it so even my first on-air gig with uh, in Winnipeg on Nightlines uh, with Ross Porter as my producer to me that was just like wow in the middle of the night right and it was just like wow this is like I never thought this would be where I am. I don't know about you guys, but I'm constantly like, how did I get here from wherever I was three years ago? It's sure. always weird to me. Right? You know, it's funny because we met, I was doing stand-up full-time, and I think most people know by now that you had done some stand-up. To what extent, I'm not. Ever, I'm never sure, but you and I both know. Like I, I, I more than dipped my toes in it. I was doing it pretty solidly for many years. But the point I'm trying to make is one of the reasons I ended up back in radio is you and I both know that old thing about, you know, I wanted to be a boxer until I met somebody who really wanted to be a boxer. If, if you really wanted to be an actor or a stand-up comedian, especially those two disciplines, when you meet people who are really into it, it's a different, it's a different breed. Yeah. It's, it's like... You know, we were saying yesterday, Ralph, like Paul wanted to be a play-by-play guy. I wanted to be a, a disc jockey. I would literally pretend to be a disc jockey all the time in my car. You know, Paulie would do play-by-play. So I, I guess we all ended up doing this because this was what we were supposed to do, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, that can be true. And you can also end up with a life where you're not really true to what you really want to be and what you really want to do for whatever reason, opportunity or lack of confidence or whatever. But sometimes we don't, there are people who get to an age and go, you know, I, I, I just dipped my toe. Mm-hmm. I didn't lean into it. So you, you never know how it's going to work out. I'm just leaving there a little space in case Romy wants to jump in, you know. Well, no, I'm just, uh, I mean, it's a very, 
articulate and philosophically presented point. And I, I think, you know, I think it's 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 sad when it's a situation where somebody looks back and regrets that they didn't, to use your term, lean into it a little bit more. But by the same token, what immediately jumps to mind for me, uh, Ralph and Howard, is uh, you know the big one is is life circumstance. You know, if you were if you were born into a life of poverty uh, mm-hmm. and never given the opportunity, uh, if you were born into a situation where suddenly you know there was a, a death in the family or, or or a change that necessitated you having to go out and work and forego further education and so on. When you get into all of that, uh, you know, it, there can be some sad stories there. I mean, some inspiring ones as well, I'm sure, but that's kind of where my mind goes when you, yeah. when you bring up that point. Yeah, and so, look, uh, 30 years ago, a person of color wanting to be a hockey night in Canada play-by-play guy wasn't going to get a job. It just wasn't going to happen. It was a white culture, and it still is in many ways. At least they're trying now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's uh, the door is shut in your face, but you know, in one way or another, if we really want to be who we really are, uh, we can find a way. It may not be the yeah. thing we originally thought was the big deal. Uh, you know, and, and, I, find a way. and I appreciate your point, Paul, that circumstances dictate opportunity. For me, and I was going to ask this question of the two of you, but I will tell you, I don't really, there isn't anything that I can look back on and feel like I didn't get a chance to try. Some TV, some stand-up, being on the radio, different things, learning to fly, etc. I think what's saddest, what I find saddest for people is people that had the opportunity, that had all the chances, and didn't take that chance because of fear and because of because it's hard. You know, that's what I said. You know, I know lots of people that dip their toes into stand-up. But when I came back and doing, started doing stand-up again, Ralph, about four or five years ago, and I saw some of the kids that were doing 20 sets a week, well, those, that's somebody who wants it really bad. You know, I, I, I knew I didn't. But that's what I think is people that kind of look back on their lives at our age and go, man... I just didn't do that because I, I was afraid to take a chance. Yeah, but you got to try. Like, I mean, when I told my friends, my acting friends, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they were like, no, it's, it's what you are. <laughs> and then it's like, I, I'm going to quit smoking cigarettes. No, I can't imagine you not smoking. It's like, who are you? you, are you my friends? <laughs> That's or, true. You know? um, do you have any, is there something like, as Paul was telling us just before you, you got on the broadcast today that of all the things and I'd forgotten how many different sports that you called Paul everything Olympics and downhill skiing are are there are there is there a sport that you'd still would have liked to have given a shot not water polo yeah did you how about did you ever do golf did you ever call golf yes uh I want to say I want to say it was at a Canada Summer Games or something. Uh, but no, nothing stands out, Howard, so maybe that would be one. But no, I mean, I pretty much called a ton of hockey, called baseball, uh, called baseball on TSN, uh, called NBA basketball. So, I mean, all the big North, you know, never uh, called CFL football, um, tons of track and field sports, powerboat racing. <laughs> Wow. Beach volleyball. So, uh, yeah, golf might be one, I suppose. Yeah. 
Um, you'd, have, you'd have to whisper for most of it, though. Yeah, not quite. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, come uh, on, that's what they do. They say, hey, coming up to the 17th green. Yeah. Yes, we know. Um, we Again, talking to Paul about your appearance and how, uh, you know, here in Canada, we, you know, we, we've never been able to figure out the talk show format. Although it's funny you brought up Zowski. We've been great on the radio. Peter Zowski, I, I often, you know, I remember listening to him and, and being impressed by his ability. Him and Andy Barry also impressed me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Andy really, great and and, and I, I knew Andy because I worked at the Mix briefly for a couple of years in that building with CFRB, and Andy was the midday guy after Wally yeah. Crowder. I was that, That's how uh, long ago this is. And I remember I used to call him Mr. Barry. Cause, uh, but I, I was not surprised he went to CBC. Is there something at CBC that she, or, C, or in your broadcast career, Ralph, that you never got to try that you'd wanted to? Well, there was a point, uh, I think I wrote about this in my book. There was a point where there was a show, a morning uh, national magazine show, and I was up for it. Uh, me and one other person were the last people standing. And it was th- like Zosky's format before they broke it into two pieces the way they do it now, which I don't like. Um, and it was a three-hour magazine show, and it came down to the wire, and... I didn't get it. And it's the only time in my career that when I got off the phone, I actually had tears in my eyes. It was like that. I was born to do that show. That's how I felt. Mm. You know, there's there's gigs you get where you think, I don't know, I should work out. Uh, But there's other gigs where you just think, no, this is what I was born to do. It's like, I'm sure with Paul, it was like, I was born to do play by play of the NHL. Um, Because like when I met him, he was already, that was the path. Mm-hmm. So when I heard him on, on uh, Hockey Night, I was just like, fantastic. <laughs> he's, he's actually doing it, right? So sometimes you know you want a certain thing because it's kind of what you were meant to do. Sure. Right? And and you got to enjoy the all of the pieces. I've been grateful for every gig, uh, honestly, because I've also looked at it and thought, I'm proud of the gigs. Like, you know, there were things I believed in doing. So if that's the way it goes, then great. Right. If you still if you the whole thing is about articulating your voice throughout your life. How do you become your authentic self doing something? Because there were guys that, who would read news and they'd have the perfect voice. Yes, exactly. And then as soon as they got off off uh, camera, they were completely different people. And I thought, no, no, you want to be the same person doing both things. You want to be yourself. You know, it's, right? in, it's interesting having you two here because both of you have done television and radio. And it's interesting, not very many, and you both know this, not very many TV people can do the radio thing. But a lot of radio people, if they're, you know, a modicum of, you know, as long as they're not like a troll, they can do television because there's a muscle you develop being on the radio. And I guess, Paul, you know, when you called me up and said, hey, I've been offered this gig at the team, this uh, sports radio, you know, thing. I wasn't surprised that you could do that because... You know, you're a good broadcaster, but I don't know that it works both ways. What do you, you know what I'm getting at there? I don't think a lot yeah. of TV guys can transition to doing certainly this, but, you know, radio in general. Radio, there is, in my view, um, depending on the format, uh, you know, top 40 DJ radio side, which yes. is a different beast, but talk radio, good talk radio, uh, of which there isn't much in Canada anymore. That's uh, also another rabbit hole to go down. Uh, <laughs> but it, it takes, it, it takes 
a great deal of skill to do because there's nowhere to hide. It's just you uh, and the odd guest. And if you're at the CBC or <clears throat> some other places, you'll be lucky enough to have a producer. When you're on television, <clears throat> excuse me, there are many places to hide. Uh, you are on a desk as an anchor, so you have to be good for 20-second increments before you go, you know, throw to taped pieces or throw to a live event. You have producers, you have graphics, mm-hmm. you have a lot of things to support you. On the radio, it's you. It's very naked, uh, if that makes sense. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think your skill set has to be much sharper, and it's a good point by you, Howard. I think it's if you have that skill set as a good talk radio host, then I think you will have an easier time transitioning to television and adding a visual element than somebody going the other well, way. And, and before you answer, Ralph, I'd say I, I just I agree with what you said, but here's the thing I disagree with. There is great talk radio in Canada. It's just not on the radio anymore. You know, it's on there's there is <laughs> yeah. there's great talk, uh, but it's they're called podcasts and there there's nothing on the radio in Canada that rivals the talk that's going on in podcasts, including another kind of rabbi. But uh, Ralphie, what about your, because uh, I was thinking about what made me think of it, Ralph, is, you know, you'd gone from news magazines to television to hosting a, a variety show, and then you end up on a, a jazz station for years. Yeah, I still fell in there every once in a while. Um, each one has a different thing it asks of you, right? And the thing is to, to find your voice in it. So, With jazz, for instance, I knew that I was not somebody who could uh, tell you exactly who was on what session uh, in 1963 uh, for Miles Davis, whether it was Ron Carter or, you know, was Coltrane still with, you know, I I just flat out let people know I'm with you. I'm listening to the music. I love the music and, and, and the sophistication and the soulfulness and the classical nature of it. I love it. But... I'm just a fellow traveler. So uh, as long as I put myself in a position like that of wanting to learn with the people who are doing the thing, it's great. I, I would say with podcasting uh, that uh, because of it, because it, it's so proliferated at this point that um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that anyone and their uncle's doing a podcast, right? You know, they just get on and God love them. I mean, it's democratizing. Oh, yeah. But but it's really hard for people to sort of weed through the jungle of podcasts and figure out which one might be the one they like. And then monetizing them, as you both know, is uh, not fun uh, because, you know, you're climbing up this slow hill i mean the, the longer you do it the better it it can get but it's it's still it's still not and there's a wild west aspect to it right where there's the rules haven't caught up to the game no yeah so music copyrights all that stuff it's all falling behind at this point but uh on the other hand you know god love everybody who wants to do it it's it, it, if it gives you a voice that's great it's just uh um, when I look at the states, I just think, oh, my goodness. I mean, I remember years ago driving down to Florida or something and just listening to the talk. And it was either Bible talk or toxic talk. Right. And it was shocking what people were saying on the radio. And I just thought Canadians were just I mean, the Sun uh, TV network tried to become a, a right wing shock station nobody wanted to listen watch it it was mm-hmm. just like i don't get it so i do all hold out hope that at least as canadians we occasionally like things a little better well we're definitely have a different temperature and and a, and a tolerance for you know 
provocative, outrageous, you know, nonsense. Um, segueing now, because Ralph sometimes comes on and, and counsels Fred and I not to get too freaked out by what's going on. But in our last uh, segment here with you, um, what, what's your take? You know, we had Noel Kassler on yesterday, another guy that talks a lot about U.S. politics. But just in general, how are you feeling as a guy that's, uh, I'm sure you know this, Paul, that you know, Ralph's very p- politically active, has worked as a, you know, in the, in the age of spin, Ralph has spun some for uh, different parties. What's yeah. your take on um, our political discourse these days and what's going on a little bit with the uh, Republicans in the states? So are we are we are these end times for all of us? Well, you know, I, you know, I always have emphasized to people lately that 18% of eligible voters in Ontario voted for Doug Ford. 18%, less than one in five. He has a massive majority. So the first past the post system that both the Americans have and we have has completely failed us. And successive governments, once they're in power, don't want to change that because they have the power, right? It's targeting it's vote efficiency. So when you see a national poll, the, the conservatives are up, the liberals are down, pay no attention to those polls. They're absolute nonsense. What you need to understand is where the votes are. If there are more liberals voting for in 905 and BC Lower Mainland and uh, uh, GTHA and parts of Quebec, you win. You just win. Everybody else doesn't matter. Okay. So that's that's about voter efficiency. So people are very naive about all this stuff. They think they're voting for a leader of a party. They're not. The leader of the party runs in a riding. We're not Americans. We're not a republic. So our civics is in horrible shape. And when your civics are in horrible shape, people can manipulate the system and you do nothing about it. Sure. So here with Ford, what we have is somebody who underspent three point. No, $5.3 billion of COVID money, a billion dollars in healthcare that he held back, uh, nurses at a, doll, uh, a 1% increase a year, which is illegal, and now he's fighting it with our money again. And then he tells us the hospital system is broken. Well, who broke it? And what's the game? So now you have TELUS with private health. You have all these people popping up. Loblaws is now uh, offering private health. You know, for $70 a visit, you can see a a general practitioner. So if we're going to let this happen, Mm -hmm. then it's on us. So that's how I feel about what's going on here. In the United States... The Republican Party is beyond uh, beyond evil at this point. Yes. I mean, you have this Santos clown. I mean, he's not a well man, obviously. He's literally lied about every single aspect of his life. And the speaker, who is not much better at being a politician, Kevin McCarthy, uh, is giving him uh, committee seats. Well, yeah, I just want to pop in there because, you know, for most people, again, a lot of a lot of pushback on the Humble and Fred shows. You guys spend a lot of time talking about U.S. politics, but it's fascinating. This guy, George Santos, just to bring everyone up to date, he ran and it wasn't like he it wasn't like he fibbed a little bit on his resume. He lied about almost every aspect of his life, including claiming that, you know, his grandparents were in the Holocaust. But but that, you know, abomin, you know, that whatever that is aside, the fact that he has been given and in the States getting on committees 
is a big deal because of yeah, yeah. because what it is it allows you to peddle your influence. It, it's why this uh, it's why those politicians go from making one hundred and seventy thousand a year to being worth forty million within a very short time because committee means influence. And so, and I just heard this uh, George Santos thing yesterday. When, do you think there it's too far gone now? Do you think there's no coming back from where they are? Well. First of all, let's remember Obama got eight years. Also, remember that Joe Biden is actually the president of the United States, not uh, not Trump. not George Santos. Although Santos is telling people he's the president. Yeah, he's he's about to be. <laughs> That's right. But the, but the other part of this is, you know, I kept thinking to myself, why will people vote for these guys even though they know they're they're lacking as human beings? Mm-hmm. And it's because they believe that the Republican Party is protecting a certain way of life, a white, Christian, traditional, American, so-called way of life. So whatever the cost in whoever the clown, Trump got them three Supreme Court justices and uh, 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 struck down uh, uh, Roe v. Wade. So whatever the cost is, it's worth it. Um But we have to remember we're in a time now where capitalism has truly not served the middle and lower classes of the uh, of the United States and Canada. So you get those people down there doing that. You get Pierre Polyevre up here who literally lies a lot, makes up things like the guy in the Ottawa airport who, you know, who was trying to get to Cuba for his wedding. Where is he? Where's this guy he was talking about? <laughs> Sorry, this and, and then he talks about health care, which is a provincial jurisdiction. No, I mean, he he, he actually says that uh, the NDP are socialists, just like the Nazis had the word socialist in their uh, political uh, frame, uh, the National Socialist Party, right? So they're both obviously socialists. This is a guy who's actually the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. So... It's up to us to say, you know what, like, who are these enough already? This isn't working. We're just clawing our way over on top of each other to get to the top of something. And in the meantime, you have the the, the uh, United Nations literally telling people we are climate screwed in the biggest way. I'm writing a book about it right now. And I got to this point. I'll just do this quick. I got to this point where I thought I've been trying to communicate about climate politics for 15 years and i'm not getting through to anybody why and then i realized i remember interviewing a guy when i was doing a, a one of my shows a pre-tape for christmas so we did a half hour with this guy who was a, a middle-aged beggar on the street in blue on bluer in toronto and i brought him into the studio i didn't interview him on the street i brought him into the studio because it changes everything and the guy had been on bay street had a house in Rosedale and had a family. He lost all of them. And I said, why? And he said, because nothing gets between me and the bottle. Wow. I have to have the bottle. And what I realized about us is that we are addicted to this life and sure. this lifestyle. And because of that, we can't hear or can't do anything about the fact that we are destroying the... the, the Barry Lopez says humanity is uh, running away from home. That's what we're doing it's because that's our bottle. The phone is our bottle. Well, what you said that I, I really resonated with me is that the people in power don't want to change the way things are done because that would get them out of power. Well, what a, another a fantastic visit. We learned a lot as always. Let's on the way out. We'll just have everyone relax a little bit, Ralphie. Uh, I hope you're well. You know, I am a big fan. 
And uh, Roman, I see when you get Ralph here, it's, all you have to do is ask him a question. He just goes, by the way, what's the uh, timeline on your next book? Uh, well, I might be working on somebody else's book with him for a while, but I'm hoping to get it done by June. Okay, listen, man. Always a pleasure seeing you, and I wish you the best in this year. I know it's late for the Happy New Year's, but I wish you all the best. And, you know, maybe one day we'll, we'll have coffee again, you know? Oh, I, anytime, my friend. And all Paul, right, sweet man. lovely to see you. Take yes. care of yourself. Great to see you. Uh, you're looking great, and take care of he's yourself. He's a guy. You know what he is? He's a great, great memories. Eh? From, he's a, uh, yeah. he's a gourd damn legend. And of course, he sneaks in the religious thing, which we all know is poisoning the entire planet as well. Okay, <laughs> you want to get rid of climate change? Get rid. Of, how about make that change can first? Can we talk okay? about pesticides on golf no, courses? Can, can we talk about how religion is the root of all evil? Okay, bike lanes. You can't have them because there's a winter, right. but we can have golf Thank courses. You. Okay. Okay. I, listen, we've got no more time for you and your <laughs> anti-golf rants. Uh, there you is. need a sense of humor about golf courses. That's you need a sense of humor about religion and how it poisons everything. There's Ralph and Murgy, not that kind of rabbi. One of my favorite podcasts uh, available where all podcasts are sold. Listen, there you go. There's Ralph Ben Murgy. You know, he talked about uh, mentioning you as a play-by-play guy again. And before we get the retirement chirp on, I want to make sure I ask this question. Because even though I've done, you know, I've been around broadcasting my whole life. Uh, and I'm fascinated by your job. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I, sometimes I listen to Jim Nance, who is excellent, who is excellent at football. Yeah. He's amazing at golf, but he's a different guy, a slightly different guy doing golf than he is the uh, NFL on Sundays. Are you a different guy doing hockey than you are doing alpine skiing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, um, it's, is it uh, there, is it similar? Are hockey and basketball more similar? For me, the hardest sport, to, and I've done many of them. The hardest sport to call play by play for, by far, is hockey, uh, because it is really, especially the game now. It's changed a lot from when I started. It's so fast. Uh, your vantage point in most NHL rinks is shitty. Uh, you're way up and way back, uh, and they change on the fly, right? Think about other sports. They don't. So the team out there, when the play starts in one end, can be completely different or three or four players different by the time it gets to the other end. There's no other sport that I've called that's like that. Basketball, they stop. This guy's coming in. Yeah. He comes in. Soccer, they hold up a bloody sign. Show, oh, this guy's coming in, right? Like, uh, so that, by the way, that's, dude, so that's, that's what difficult. it sounds like when they make a substitution in basketball. Yeah. This guy's coming in now. <laughs> this guy's coming in. Um, so I and, and we got uh, Tim Niblett standing by here, our retirement Sherpa guest in a second. And um, But before we get Tim, I, I want to make uh, this point. When you're doing play-by-play in hockey, I want to ask this question. What would surprise me as a broadcaster and our audience as listeners, like I just found out some right now, like you guys have not a very good vantage point, but while you're doing it, do are, are you just surrounded by tons of notes? And I'll follow that up by saying, are you, how do you memorize everybody? As you said, because different guys are coming on all the time. Well, it's just it's like anything. It's it's doing it right. You just you you become familiar with rosters. I mean, you know, the, hey, you start the NHL season uh, and you see a team for the first time. 
you're going to get the odd uh, misidentification and uh, you're going to make the odd mistake and you're not as comfortable with the roster. But by the time you get to the playoffs, I was, you know, by the time you're doing this Eastern Conference final, uh, which I used to do, Eastern or Western Conference final, you know the team so well right. and you, uh, you immediately identify guys, of course, with their number, but how they skate. There's so many little visual clues that you don't have to look at a roster that often. It's just, you, you know, okay, 40's this guy, 25's that guy, 21's this guy, 2's this guy, 3's that guy, he usually plays with 6, and it just becomes automatic to you. And yes, you are you are surrounded by notes. Uh, most play-by-play announcers at the level I was at are, you have your roster in front of you, you have three or four notes on every player. Plus, you have, for me, old school, I had a whole bunch of handwritten notes. You know, uh, uh, 13 for 17, uh, last four games, power play. Uh, so-and-so, three-game consecutive point scoring streak on the power play. Uh, last 15 games at home, 12, 1, and, you know, 4, whatever. And by the way, is that uh, you said yesterday something. like Was that your responsibility? Yes, for the most part, you would do. Uh, now, when you get to again to the high level, uh, like Hockey Night in Canada, you have a dedicated stats person with you during the game, and that person's job—they're uh, usually responsible for the graphics, the stats that you see on. So, you know, Leafs four for five, last five power plays, or last three games, whatever. But part of their job, a big part, is also to support you. So, for example, if uh, Austin Matthews scores. And it's a hat trick. Uh, he or she will quickly usually hand you a note that says, you know, fourth hat trick of the season, second career against Arizona. Right. OK. For example. Yeah. I, I, uh, so I want to continue this if we can. I, I know we're gonna, running out of time here, but I, I had written that down in my notes in anticipation of you joining me because I thought, you know, I've never really asked him this question, but I'm also fascinated. I think listeners would be about like it, it's just really you in a booth. Uh, with somebody doing sort of uh, color or analysis, and and you know I don't I don't know what I thought it was going to be like, but it's 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 a pretty sort of solo existence, really. You're handling a lot of that stuff yourself. Yeah, it's it's a you know depending on the sport, but the play by play guy is the ringmaster. Right. Um, you know, and your job as a good play by play guy, I always thought, is to know what your color person wants to talk about and set them up and make them look good as the expert. So, for example, Humble, if you and I were doing golf uh, and I was the play-by-play guy, my job would be to probe you for information that is going to enhance the broadcast for the viewer. So, as a for example... Uh, I'd be okay. So he's 120 out here. Looks like he's pulling out a 60 degree wedge. Howard, what kind of accuracy are we looking for a guy at this level from 120 out to get within 10 of the pin? Well, I can tell you this, Paul, if that were me, I would be sculling this over the green. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, you might come in and say, "Well, Paul, it's about it's about ten percent accurate." Yeah, I get it from one twenty out, right? But my <laughs> job is to say, I don't deliver that information. You do as the color guy. That's what a good play by play guy. Well, listen, you are one of the best, and it's uh, it's a national tragedy that you aren't being allowed to ply your trade, you know, somewhere on the airwaves. Um, and I'll tell you before we uh, get Tim on, like. Yeah, you were very good at it. And, and and the guys that are good at it make it seem, I think, easier than it really is. I, I think it's a very different... I mean, like I said, I was listening to Nance on uh, Sunday doing the game with Buffalo uh, and uh, Tony Romo. 
Like Nance is just so good at that game. He's excellent. Yeah. yeah, now, yeah. But you're right. I don't think your football is a lot easier than than play by play in hockey. Hockey's um, the hardest. It is it is the hardest sport to call. Um, I think golf has its different. Golf's a little bit different for Nance. Nance is so good at that too, and I think it happens over years and years of uh, experience. Dan Hicks. And because uh, there's really only a couple guys that do it. And here's how you know how good those guys are is when you hear guys that aren't as good at it, like Joe Buck. Joe Buck's good at baseball, but he wasn't all that good at he's not as good at golf as those guys are. Speaking of good at golf, uh, here's our. Uh, <laughs> is Tim good at golf? Are you good at golf? Tim, Tim? is good at golf. Come on. Wow. One uh, swing at a time sometimes, Paul. Nice to see you again. Met you in studio yes. way back in the day. Yeah, your mic's not on. It's not, hey, listen, it's not me. If Fred were here, if Fred, your buddy, he would say you're the same thing. You're getting on that comment, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, I can tell you're talking into your computer there. Okay, how about now, oh, Brother there's, Howard? There's a big difference. So uh, before we get to the... Uh, Today's segment. How was uh? How was you? Were you on a cruise for two weeks? I was uh, ten days to be precise, but little uh, shenanigans at either end with some great pals from here. And I, I tell you, shout out to Holland America. I know there's other good ones out there, but service is great. Entertainment was great. Uh, you know, in the good old days, I used to laugh when there was a ship day at the old people who wanted to stay on the ship. <laughs> now I'm one of those uh, people. That's right. <laughs> I, I've only been on one once I took the kids. Uh, we went on like a seven-day cruise. And halfway through the cruise, my buddy, we were talking about him yesterday, John Wing Jr., came on the boat. And uh, he was the he, he did a rotation doing stand-up on it. And he was telling me about cruise life. And for a lot of entertainers, stand-ups in particular, it's a great gig. Because you're on and off. They fly you wherever the place is. Did you avail yourself of the nightly entertainment yeah, absolutely. They had uh, a Rolling Stone rock room with a house band that was uh, was very good, a BB King's blues band. I, I guess this is pretty common to all of their ships and a variety of other things. It was great. I felt bingo was a little overpriced, you know, but I mean, that's just me. Um, uh, the retirement Sherpa is back. I'm glad to see you in person or at least on Zoom. And uh, I'm trying to think. So next week we'll all be here. I'll be here. Fred will be in the Dominican. And then after that, it's uh, two months of just everyone, you and I, Freddie, in different locations. So let's get to today. I, I'm looking here. It's that time of the year, you say, for the S in the Sherpa process. And what does the S stand for, Tim? Well, it stands for setting goals, of course, right? As I close off on the email, I'll get it in now just in case. Uh, I mean, we spend lots of time on other worldly and important things like binge watching or, or uh, watching golf or hockey or uh, whatever, right? Buying flowers, uh, that sort of thing. But, you know, it's really important for, for Canadians to kick the uh, looking at their finances up a little bit there. It doesn't take long, but it's something to definitely have a good New Year's resolution or mid-January resolution to uh, find some time to, especially right now, yes. to find some time to look at things. And what are some of the pri- what are some of the goal setting? Like, what, what should people prioritize? And I agree with you, by the way. Everyone would rather talk about almost anything or do almost anything than start thinking about your finances. But that's where you come in. And so what are some of the things people should be looking at? 
Well, the first thing is, right, do you have a plan? I mean, do you even know uh, what the heck you're trying to achieve and, and if you're on track for it or not? Have you moderately recently looked for any efficiencies, opportunities, problems, uh, those sort of things? Uh, last year was the third worst, I think, in a long time for what's called the classic 60-40 portfolio mix. So 60% stocks, 40% bonds, because it was a, a rare year where they both went backwards uh so are you still on track doesn't mean you have to all of a sudden do lots of different things but definitely means you should take a look at things um and uh, of course uh you know i'd soon we'll be talking about rrsps what about that how does that fit into this time of the year Sure. So 60th day of the calendar year, right? Uh, not being a leap year, that gets us to March 1st as a contribution deadline to help out last year. Uh, contributions, interestingly, this time of year can be used against either or both of the years, 2022, 2023, uh, whatever benefits you the most. Uh, TFSAs, uh, the limit's just gone up to $6,500 uh, per year. If you uh, are fortunate enough to be caught up already, now you got more uh more room but they're super powerful and as we talked about before for some people um we're, we're talking to some clients at 11 o'clock today and and they're taking some money out to help their kids actually uh because they've got plenty and they've got awesome uh, family well oh, by the way i'm gonna, and, I'm, gonna uh, so, edit, I'm gonna edit that part out of the podcast in case one of my yeah. kids listens they're like Shoot, oh really sir. that's right you can <laughs> daddy you can take some money out and give it to me no no that's uh, that's other people's children uh, i'm sorry so go ahead paul you had a question that's okay. well, t- t- tim what about for a guy like my age so i'm i'm 60 ish am i better to put money into an rsp or am i better to put money into a tfsa tim well like any good financial advisor paul it's it depends right so you know it's a function of how much you already have in registered monies uh rsps company pensions uh, future government pensions versus not because just like we want to diversify on the way up uh, of what we invest in we want to have diversification coming out of income sources so if people had everything in rsps that's great but they pay a lot of tax and they take it out in uh in retirement, and then when, heaven forbid, they both pass, the government takes it all into income and takes a big chunk of it then, too. You know, it's too bad when we were all younger that the TFSA didn't exist Yeah, um, yeah. because we would have put a lot of money in. I, I found out recently uh, using the Sherpa services. Okay, I'm going to admit this, and you can say I'm dumb, but I don't care. I guess I didn't really understand. I don't think I completely understood how TFSAs worked. Because I wanted to make an investment and uh, use the Sherpa services and didn't realize until I did the thing that I could actually invest it through my TFSA. I know that sounds dumb, but uh, I just first I just thought putting money in a TFSA was like contributing to an RESP or an RRSP. But you can buy stock through your TFSA. Maybe you can. Does that sound stupid? It seems stupid to me, but, you know. No, uh, the oversimplified reality is you can pretty well hold the same investments in any of the different plans, but because there's different names and different dynamics, sometimes we think there's 
different holdings you can have. Okay. Uh, on on that note, I was uh, totally unsurprised and super happy to see that Jane Deborah did an absolutely awesome job for uh, you, our valued client, in my absence there. No, it was fantastic. And I, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, there's all kinds of mechanisms for you to invest. And uh, as always, uh, make sure the Sherpa is on your side. Tim.nibblet at RaymondJames.ca is how you get a hold of T. And... Uh, uh, any final thoughts, sir, before we uh, have to say goodbye? Well, I got to say, I love what I do, but man, I was very happy being off for a little bit. So, uh, but juiced to be back. We've uh, got some referrals already, got some listeners reach out already, uh, clients getting bonuses, all kinds of good stuff. So we're back in full swing and loving uh, almost every minute of it. All right, my brother. Good seeing you again. Glad the uh, vacation was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a good one. And uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. Awesome. Great seeing you again, Paul. Have a great nice week, guys. See you, Tim. Take care. There's a retirement chirper, Paul. One of our uh, longtime supporters. You know, when Ralph was... Uh, it's funny how almost everybody that does a podcast, it's universal, always brings out how uh, brings up how hard it is to monetize it. You know, and... Um, you know, when we finally shut this down, the Humble and Fred podcast, at some point we're going to. Maybe in our late 70s. Who knows? But... Um, <laughs> If the story is ever written about it, it will be, it'll have to include the fact that we're one of the few Canadian podcasts without, listen, we don't have smartless fame. We had some brand equity. I've, I've used that phrase a bunch of times before about us. We had some brand equity in this market, but we haven't been on the radio as a team since 2000 and, uh, 2005 was when Fred got fired from the mix. I got fired in 2006. So when we started in 2011, we didn't have CBC fame. We didn't have any real current notoriety, but we had enough equity in the market brand wise that we attracted people like Tim, like Tim Niblett and, and others that support us and have had success using this service. Tim's been with you for a long time, long time. Yeah. Long time, man. No, you've got a couple of great, uh, great long time sponsors, which I would imagine there's some there's some good uh, professional relationships that you have. Oh, absolutely. Over the years there. And that's what it's all about. Right. Well, and that's the thing. And that's what makes most people give up doing their podcast um, because they find out like, man, this takes, as you described yesterday, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's no money coming back in it for a lot of people. Daniel. Daniel! Dan Duran's upstairs. He's uh, getting ready to do the news, and then we're going to have to say goodbye. The upstairs studio. In the upstairs studio. Um, anyway, I was really fascinated having you on. And again, I know I asked a lot of questions that would seem I should know the answer, but I don't. I am, I've always been fascinated by guys that can do what you do. You know, like, it takes a, it's a, you have to think very quickly. And I know it's like anything else. I, I'm, I assume it's like anything else where it seems so complex to an untrained eye. But even as I was asking you about the players, I was like, well, that's sort of dumb. Of course, after a few, after a while, you'd get to know the main players on all the teams just by sight. As in, and I'm sure the Leafs, of course, you get that down. That doesn't change much. But it's still doing the actual job. It's, it's got to be. A, did you find it stressful? Or did you enjoy it? I loved it. I was best. I was so lucky. Best job I ever had. When you uh, when you put the headset on and they drop the puck and you're calling, he shoots, he scores. You're calling the game. It's the best job in the world. Uh, all the other shit around it at times can be a bit overwhelming. But, sure, 
when you're actually sitting there with the headset on doing it. It's fantastic. Here's something before we introduce Dan. And I've asked people before who have definitely achieved one of their longtime goals. That first game, that first game for Hockey Night in Canada. At this point, you've been a broadcaster a long time. Like I was going to say, I can't remember the last time I got really nervous. Doing stand-up, I always get a bit nervous, but it's different. That first game for Hockey Night in Canada, that day, give me some of the feelings you had, and was it, I don't know, even emotional? It was very emotional, yes. Um, It was uh, the first Saturday night Hockey Night in Canada game I did was the 10 o'clock start, so the second game, uh, on a Saturday night, and it was in uh, 2014. Uh, it was Calgary against Vancouver in Vancouver, and uh, I got up to the booth early. I usually get up early anyways, like to set my office up, get all prepared, <clears throat> and I got up there, and I sat down, and I was by myself. Uh, there might have been a couple of technicians or whatever working over at the side, and uh, I just sort of sat there and... Uh, had a had a moment and i think i alluded to this yesterday uh for me you know not to get too heavy but it was i sat there and thought geez i wish my mom and dad were were still around because they'd be they'd be so happy for me and they'd be so proud uh and i just sort of sat there and thought wow i never thought this would happen and i felt so lucky uh to be able to 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 be able to be doing this because it was the culmination of many 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 years of hard work i think uh, i think that's beautiful and i think we can all relate to the fact i love the fact you took a moment and thought about that because you know that's what you know those day one experiences are so uh visceral were you uh the day of or the night before or when you were flying were were you a little bit uh freaked out and i don't mean i don't mean in a negative way like where you're just fucking nervous and be like oh god damn it like i'm gonna do this now one more sleep and i'm the hockey night in canada guy no not really uh i i um you know i've i've i had a reputation for being uh pretty calm under pressure by pressure i mean broadcasting pressure yeah and so no i never it, to me uh, I, I just that's just not the way i think there were a couple of times where I did think, wow, it's going to be like two and a half million people watching this game tonight. You know, a big Stanley Cup playoff game. Uh, it's going to be a big, be a lot of people watching, big game. But it never, never affected the way that I was able to do my job. Not, not for well, me. that's because you, my friend, are what we call in the business a broadcast professional. Um, all right. Well, let's get, speaking of broadcast professionals, he's never nervous. Now, here's to a fella named Dan Duran, a hell of a guy with a hella big wang, the quintessential anchor man. His voice is mm-hmm. nice uh, and low. Uh, ho, ha, Dan ha, Duran, the anchor man, comes for credentials. He has none. Can't tell a headline from his bum, but his voice is nice and low. Dan Duran, the anchorman's here He's prone to falling off his chair But he's got a big wang so he don't care And his voice is nice and low My voice is nice and low And now live from the kitchen uh, For our uh, good friends at AaronVentures.com Go to AaronVentures.com and uh, find out what that emerging international junior mining and exploration company is up to. In the meantime, here's Dan Duran. Booze has become less safe to drink. Canada's guidance on alcohol and health uh, provides evidence-based advice on alcohol to support people in making informed decisions about their health, like how much should you drink. 
before it risks your health is basically the guidance. They updated this uh, since uh, first time since 2011. Mm-hmm. And now uh, zero drinks a week are, are best for you. Uh, not drinking has benefits such as better health and better sleep. Two standard drinks or less per week. You're likely to avoid alcohol-related consequences for yourself or others at this level. But then things start to kick in. Three to six standard drinks per week. Your risk of developing several types of cancer, including breast and colon cancer, increases at this level. Uh, Seven drinks. Or more, your risk of health, disease, or stroke significantly increases. And add additional drinks uh, radically increases the risk of alcohol-related consequences. A lot of people are now calling for, uh, especially in this, uh, uh, the people who put this uh, uh, this uh, guidance out. Yes, the Canadian Center on Substance Abuse and Addiction. Yes, they were the lead uh, in this. They were funded by the Canadian government and is on the Canada uh, Canadian government website. Yeah. Um, and, and they are also suggesting now the labels uh, start informing people about how many standard drinks are in that container that you're drinking. And uh, also the warning labels. Which are it's already a law to have warning labels on things if it harms you. It's just that it hasn't really made it as far as cancer goes. Well, what, what I love about this story, and I, I saw this story on one of my uh, services this morning, Dan. I love it because obviously um, it's it's long overdue. But what, of course, it's big business. You know, first of all, in Canada, alcohol is a fifty billion dollar concern, and and bigger, obviously, in other world class countries. But. Um, it's those people don't want warning labels for cancer on alcohol bottles. Although, and again, it's funny because I remember having to tell my doctor, this is years ago, how many, he asked me this, how many drinks do you, how many drinks do you have a week? And I said 14, which was a lie. I was closer to 40. And when I said 14, he thought that was a lot. Because that's two a drink, two drinks a day. That's two beers. That's two 1.5 ounce shots. That's two five ounce, by the way. That's considered uh, a, a unit of alcohol for wine drinkers is a five ounce glass. <laughs> I have a five. When I drank, I would have, I would spill a five ounce glass just, f- <laughs> you know, just fumbling around the kitchen. What do you think of that, Romy? I, I'm not sure where, I don't know where you are in your drinking journey. Do you drink much? Um, every day, um, you know, a, a, a beer or <clears throat> glass, a glass of, wine. of wine. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and <clears throat> it is, it's one of those things you, uh, you, you know, it's bad for you, uh, but you enjoy it. And I suppose like smoking, although I was, I was never a smoker. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with labeling myself because you're an adult. You have the information, and you can make a decision. Uh, but you're damn right; those companies are going to be. Oh yeah. You know, we don't want the, we don't just like the tobacco companies, right? They fought it every inch of the way. Well, you might. We, I think most people, somewhat, by the time you get to be our age, you know that somewhere in your subconscious that drinking a lot is probably not great for you. But I don't think we all. I don't think until this uh, study that we thought it was cancer not good for you, right, Dan? I mean. That's part of the reason this this is a story today is because, you know, that's a big step, putting cancer warning labels on alcohol. Well, a lot of people don't put the, well, I have until recently. I actually think it was you that told me a few years ago. But cancer and alcohol, I never put that together. I thought yeah, exactly. heart disease was the yep. thing, right? 
but uh yeah so that was and you know what it's a dramatic shift the the old guidance was like get this 50 like you were in the bracket at 14 drinks yeah. it was 15 well, drinks for men well that's why i lied i used women. to tell them that i used to go, oh no it's only 14 <laughs> yeah, look, meanwhile up. i would have 14 friday and saturday night easily <laughs> but uh, now the guidelines have lowered as you said yeah so like uh two is the standard for both men and women what two a week a week a week yeah yeah that's that's when you're uh, likely to avoid alcohol-related consequences. You might as well not bother at that point. I mean, if you're then to be a teetotaler, yeah. why not? Well, yeah, save save up a month's worth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> save it up. Um, again, I, you know, this se- it seems extreme that only that two drinks is the point where your levels are safe because you know there's a. There's many European countries that would say otherwise. People in Italy and other Mediterranean locales, you know, drinking two or three glasses of wine with every meal, you know, every day. So, but but I think this is interesting that they're starting to because this as a, there's another story about the proliferation of the non-alcohol segment that as boomers have aged and junior boomers or whatever we are uh, are aging. It's becoming more health conscious. We are becoming more health conscious because we're at the end of our, because we're having more health concerns. So I think that's also where it's coming from. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think so. I, I, I mean, for me, it's it's all about a. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I mean, I know Howard, uh, you're a teetotaler. I don't know about you, Dan, but uh, well, we don't I, call I don't, them teetotalers, Aunt Mary. Non drinkers, <laughs> non drinkers. So it's a British term. Okay. Um, but uh, it, it, you know, it's a like I like a beer after I finish golfing, for example. Sure. If there was a non-alcoholic beer. That ta- I haven't found one yet. I've tried several that tasted like a beer, but they all have like a metallic malty. T- they can't. If they could come up with a a non alcoholic beer that tasted like beer, I'd be all over it. I'm going to tell you. I I have found. I'll give you some uh, after we're done here today. But I have found. I wasn't much of a beer drinker because as I used to do. I used to just joke about how beer took too long. I got no time for beer. I need to get drunk now. <laughs> <laughs> beers beers for slow pokes. But uh, I have found I've enjoyed the non-alcoholic category. I agree with you. In the early days of this evolution, they were shit. But, Dan, you've had some here. Uh, there's yep. a German beer called Klaus Tauler. I guarantee if I poured it, I have it all the time after golf. Erdinger is another one. I promise you if I poured it after we finished golfing, you'd be like, hey, that tastes pretty good. Um, there's a bunch of them. And as I said, it's become a huge business. Um, Daniel, there's a, there's a Corona one. Corona? Yeah, which is just as bad as the uh, Yeah, exactly. The exactly. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the, uh, the non-alcoholic Heineken is very, very good. Oh, I actually, no. See, that it's, I find it has a really sweet, malty taste, which is what a lot of them have. I would but give that to you because it's been so long since I've had a real beer. I don't have a comparable. You're, that's, that's a fair point. I, don't, I can't really remember, but they don't, those ones don't seem as shitty as the early days of them. I, I tell you what they haven't cracked is wine. There's no great non-alcoholic wine yet. Because um, mm. I, I don't really miss drinking in any situation other than other than the time I was in Italy a couple years ago and when I was in France in the fall, it would have been nice to have a glass of red wine with a meal or two. But I don't miss any other aspect of it. So when they get the non-alcoholic red that tastes as good as a as a Maroni or a Beaujolais or something, 
you know, then that will be great. You got to think that, you know, yeah, they can put a guy in the moon, but you think that, you know, <laughs> that's right. You, you would, you would think that the finest minds, there's a, there's a lab somewhere inside of a mountain in Switzerland where there are like boffins walking around with like, you know, smoke coming out of beakers yes. and everything. And, and they're trying to, where you could just put a couple of drops of, and it would immediately neutralize all of the alcohol. Yes, but it sir. Would, it tastes exactly like a glass of wine. I can't believe that's not happening. Dude, that I've could be our million guys. I, right I'm there. telling you, I've said this that as much to Dan. I said, let's get some of our people off cancer research and start working on this. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, Dan, yeah. we're way late. Do you have any more? Or can we just, can we just, uh, we can, we just uh, I can save this for tomorrow. It's, uh, it's uh, worthy. Well, why don't I tell you what? That was a great, uh, you, you sparked a great discussion as always. Thanks to Ralph Ben Mergy and a special thanks to uh, Paul Romanuk, his book. Uh, I'm sorry. His, actually, he does have a book. Every year, Paul puts out a book. Uh, remind us what that is again. It is uh, Hockey Superstars, an annual, which goes out uh, via your, uh, those good, remember those good old school book clubs? Sure. Uh, published by the good folks at Scholastic Canada, and I've been doing it for over 30 years. And you can also get it on Amazon, where it is always a top. Top seller in its category of children's sports books. And uh, there you go. The podcast is called The Walrus Was Paul. And uh, for the last couple of days, Paul's been Fred. Tomorrow, Maureen Holloway and Jackie Delaney will be part of this as we continue tomorrow. The curious case of Voldemort, disgraced broadcaster, John Derringer. Now here's Dan. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Bodog, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, GoDaddy, Aaron Ventures, and evnet.ca. We read all our emails, Humble and Fred at humbleandfredradio.com. We like them, and we like you liking us. Subscribe, give us five stars, help us out. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran. And remember, if you fake spill your wine, it doesn't count. Enjoy every goddamn day. A destination, a little up the road from the habitations of the towns we know. A place we saw the lights turn low, the jigsaw jazz in the get fresh flow. Pulling out jobs and jamboree handouts, two turntables and a microphone. Bottles and cans, or just clap your hands, or just clap your hands. Oh, my God.